Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by my lovely wife, Yanni, and also Brian Fox. Brian is a Louisville uh, resident who happens to be one of the better people that I know at articulating a message uh, that is very pro the Liberty or Libertarian Party, Liberty Movement, that type of thing. And specifically, I have said in the past, I think he does a good job of speaking to people who are coming from the right. So I thought today would be an interesting way to uh, mix the guests up. And of course, I, I was very happy with what we got from it. Some good discussion. Of course, Yanni coming from a, a different perspective than, than either Brian or I. But I, I really appreciate uh, Brian and Yanni coming on the show today. If you're a fan of The Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined first and foremost by my lovely wife, Yanni. Yanni, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. You like my introductions there, don't you? Yes. <laughs> um, I hope you have something sweet to say about me. <laughs> Behind closed doors, I'm like, <laughs> completely different. But while we're on air, I'll be like, my lovely, sweetest of wives. Are we recording yet? We are recording, awesome. yes. <laughs> and we're also joined by... Brian Fox. The wonderful Brian Fox. Hey, hey, hey. Who, in all seriousness, I, I'm excited about this episode because, for, for a few different reasons, I think, Brian, you do a real good job of articulating libertarian messaging, and you just happen to be located here in Louisville, Kentucky as do I, which is kind of coincidental, right? Sure. Because you are pretty involved on the national level with the, uh, I'm you know, actually the not groups. A, I'm not as involved as I used to be. I've actually kind of backed out on the activism portion. I uh, support the uh, Mises Caucus financially, 
Um, but I'm not really active within, you know, the, when I see the, the groups on Facebook, you're someone who's very involved with what's oh, going on the on. social media, aspect, on the yeah. social media and articulating the messaging and, yes, and yes, opinions yes. and things like that. And I would describe you I'm as a libertarian who tries to appeal to the conservatives a lot. That's your niche. Yes. Because I used to be, a, you know, a conservative Republican. So that's kind of where I come from. That's what I work best with. And, and when, uh, articulating the messaging of libertarian ism, to Yanni, sometimes, of course, Yanni, my lovely wife coming from Cuba in 2014, not a fan of anything that looks or sounds a little bit like socialism. Which America has a lot of socialism. Yes. Um, when, I, when I start talking to her about some libertarian things, sometimes her spidey senses go up and... and no, I don't think I have a problem with libertarian. Would you sorry. say that you're... Would you I s- say it's anarchy. Anarchy. Oh, well, that, anarchy. That is. I don't have a problem with libertarianism. Okay, okay but what's the difference between libertarianism well, and anarchy? Well, anarchy leans a little bit to the left. I don't think so. No. So anarchy is me- meaning without rulers, whereas libertarianism, mainstream libertarianism, as we discussed in our last episode, is really what ideally constitutional Republican values are about just basically sticking with the constitution limited government most mainstream libertarians are in that vein i am on the anarcho-capitalist side anarcho side which is no rulers but that's just from a strictly principled point of view if we were back at 1789 government i probably wouldn't even be you know an anarchist and honestly i would say that most anarchists that is the swing as a result of the large government that we currently have, meaning the stronger and larger the government gets, the more pushback we want. And, and it's really, it's a principled idea. It's not something that we believe is actually going to materialize in our lifetime, but we do believe it's, it's something to strive for. It's uh, effectively, if we ever get to limited government, true limited government, we would like to see an opportunity for some places to experiment with a stateless society, which is what anarchy is. Some people think of anarchy as mobs roaming free. And historically, to be fair, I didn't mean to correct you like, no, you're wrong, because historically, the majority of anarchists do lean more to the left. My definition of it it would say that those lefty anarchists are very um, misinformed about the definition of what a stateless society would mean because they actually are like... The most pro state people Tolstoy ever. Uh, an anarchist? Yes. Where he leaned to the left. Yeah. Who's At that again? End? Leo Tolstoy. I'm not familiar with that. There are left leaning anarchists. I will say this. So, my brand of anarchy and most of the libertarians who I associate with, we abide by what we call, which is called the uh, non aggression principle, which basically means you don't hurt people and you don't take their stuff, you don't initiate force. There's a lot of left-wing anarchists who like the idea of anarchy in a principle of no government, but they still want to have, say, warlords. They still believe in, you know, local factions. There's they don't believe. Could you in elaborate the on the warlords? Warlords is basically the idea is just basically gangs. It's kind of like what you would see in like a lot of third world countries. Okay, so they believe in. Well, I wouldn't say they believe in, but that but, ends but, to be a pro- but, ends up but being a product. But they're okay with factional authorities. Okay, they're okay with that as long as it's not a government. They believe in, hey, if this is your area and your neighborhood, and you want to run it with an iron fist, that's your prerogative. They just don't want a government running things. Well, I would say 
and I can see why Michael Malice is so intrigued by the even the left anarchists because I kind of agree with that. Factional factional warlords, right? Because even in a stateless society, we would still have to have some so, security. We'd so have to the, have privatized so the, police. So the nuance in that would be this: so even in a stateless society, the way that you acknowledge and push back against the warlord argument is you say peaceful citizens should still be armed and able to defend themselves against hostile people. The intent is what makes the difference. So warlords usually, and I say the warlord argument, that usually applies towards an antagonistic group, people that are not there to respect other people. It's the exact opposite of the non-aggression principle. It's people who are using force to wield and impose their will upon others who don't have the ability to defend themselves. Whereas in a stateless society, and this is actually a very common misconception or at least understanding of anarchy by a lot of people on the left and right, is the idea of, well, the bad guys would run free. You know, who would stop all the bad guys? Well, first of all, if everybody's empowered to defend themselves and then they can organize to defend themselves as well, then the bad guys will be put in check because, let's see, we live in, say, Louisville where there's probably at least, what, a couple hundred thousand of us who are probably in the same mindset of respect one another and we have guns. So if it came to pass... Someone tries to break in my house in a stateless society, I'd be more prone to actually just shoot them. Because you would be justified. I'm like, they broke into my house. You wouldn't have to worry about LMPD coming in and accusing you of a hate crime or something like that. So in a stateless society, it doesn't mean the single mom, the helpless elderly couple, you know, people who don't like guns are left defenseless. It just simply means that people are empowered to to defend themselves against aggression. Whereas factional authorities, warlords, are people who are acting in aggression against other people. Mm. Those people would be kept in check and run out. Okay. Uh, now, we have a question. So, yeah, until till what, what, what extent, and I'm, I apologize, you know, this is not sure. my language. To what extent do you um, can respond for no war when somebody it's been aggressive to you in the national way um, like country to country I'm not okay really sure so, so she's talking foreign policy now yeah foreign policy she's talking foreign policy so she's saying in what extent if someone is is being aggressive toward the united states yeah. at some point yes we need uh, to. are you gonna have a military so describe what you mean by what she's saying is is if if someone is aggressing on the united there states give us an example there are countries that are imperialist are we talking we are the ultimate imperialist. we are, are i know yeah. so are we talking like navy ships are we talking missiles yeah are we, we talking need more yeah. specifics Yanni. Which yeah one? let's just say a country invading another country okay what so do you do with the an, an energy i mean society? we're in a country of th- what 300 million people i think like 330 and so let's just see even one third of that is, you know, armed and capable, 100 million people that are armed and capable. I mean, I don't know of any army in the world that's going to stand up to 100 million armed and capable people, mm. especially when we already have the military equipment. So let's just say none of that disappears. So let's just say that a generation from now, we achieve a stateless society. And let's just say somehow some other nation around the world decides, hey, we can take advantage of this opportunity. Which happens very often. So we already have multiple aircraft carriers. 
We have numerous aircraft. Who would be in we charge have, of those? We have doesn't really matter at this point. We'd but what I'm but exactly. But the point is, the resources and the means to defend ourselves exist. Sure. Even if we didn't have all that, let's say, are they going to use ICBMs against us? Okay. Well, what's the purpose of that? They just want to wipe us out. Well, what value are they? What's ICBM? Intercontinental ballistic missile. Okay. So let's just say they want to use nukes on us. Well, we have nukes as well. Let's just say they want to try to do a land invasion. Who like, who, who is in control of those all those resources? Doesn't really matter. So, again, we can well, work. We can work that. In a realistic way, it matters. It does matter because who is going to pay for that? So I would say, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for that? So let's take the we're what we're working through one scenario at a time. Love it, love it. So one scenario is going to be anyone who wants to rise up or at least take us on, our ability to defend ourselves does not disappear. So we have to tackle that first and realize, okay, are they going to have an invading force? Who else has 100 million people that can come onto our shore and invade? Because we're having roughly about 100 million people that can push that back. Second of all, let's just say they have a large military of tanks and airplanes and all that kind of stuff. Well, we have that stuff too. So we have the same military now that can probably defeat any other military for generations to come. So we could stop defense spending right now and the military that we have right now would be more than sufficient to defend against any invading or attacking force. Okay. So with that being said, how do we get there is the question. That's a great question. And there's a lot of ways we can look at that. One is you roll back the power. First, you roll back power at the federal level. You've got to mitigate the federal level's ability to grow. Once you reduce it, maybe even a – let's just say at one point the states decide – we're going to go towards such a strong version of federalism, which is where the states have control over their own sovereignty. That's one phase. And then each state individually can decide, okay, let's just say they're going to dissolve and they're going to be just like communities, which are locally governed through, you know, voluntary contracts. That sounds great. So you could do that. And then eventually people, so people are going to inherently want to organize for mutual benefit. They're going to say, we need order. We want a way of planning and in such a way that everybody benefits. We just don't want to use force against people. So when it comes to utilities and services, there's a way to manage that stuff from the private sector in a way that benefits people to where they can voluntarily pay for fees and services that they want, and that's how you pay for it. And we've discussed stuff like that in the past. Yeah. So let's just say you want some means of, let's just say for the, what often gets thrown out is the least of society, how they would fare. Okay. So think about it this way. The poorest, the, the most one thing, The one thing that has really suffered the most is, say, for charity. Let's just say roughly about 100 years ago. The church has largely foregone or even stepped away from a large not all the not the entire church but let's just say the impetus used to be on the private sector particularly the churches people within um groups that um organize together for the benefit of others imagine if you remove all the taxes all the regulations and say you're now more empowered to do what you want to do so the church so the people are not being taxed they suddenly have thousands of dollars each more. They can pool their resources together to help people in need as opposed to the government, which takes up to, you know, sometimes half of their income. And a lot of that money gets wasted. 
Now they can use that to help people in need. And also the better part is they can do it more effectively because at the local level, people can get to know one another and find out. So your issue is you have trouble waking up in the morning. That's why you're perpetually, you know, unemployed. You don't need a welfare check. You right. just need somebody to make sure that you get, you get your act together. Or we find oh. you a job that starts at 3 p.m. Correct. Or yeah. whatever. We come so together. Charity, a little bit giving somebody a check every week or two weeks does not prevent. Oh, yeah. Yanni, you know. don't get Yanni started. <laughs> Cuban, well, Cuban, Cuban people can be a little wild. Yeah. But so there, Yanni so, has spent not, time at unemployment right. offices. Mm-hmm. Or, right? And she's yeah, told me I that, saw guys that were like... Huge. I don't know. Very but you, but what, what's Very happening is capable and the, they're not working. The government that everybody claims we can't survive without is the very government that's perpetuating yeah. and enabling the problems that we're. Well, suffering it is from. good for them because the more poverty they have, the more peop- the more money they can get from people. So what I guess I would say is this. So you've kind of heard a little bit of what I have to say about liberty and how we get there and the reason why we'd want that. I would even go so far as to say. I don't even need a stateless society. I just want truly limited government. Now, everybody's going to have a different definition of limited government. Some people's version of limited government is going to look like something like California. It's like, hey, we're not going complete communist, but we're pretty close. So that's, that's limited because they're letting the criminals yeah. do crazy shit. And then you go to some place, and then you look at other places like, say, no, you thanks. know, I mean, just, you know, New Hampshire, Idaho, you know, Montana, other places where it's like more live and let live. So you're going to have, and which is what originally the states should have been, you know, laboratories of freedom. You know, the states should have had more sovereignty to live the way that they want to and manage the resources the way that they want to. So let's just say we go in that direction. Let's just say that in the next hundred years, which is what's called federalism, we move towards strong federalism, where there's less of a federal government hand print or hand grip on the states, and it's more the individual states to run things the way they see fit. Life would be so much better, so much better. Let's just say those taxes, those regulations, those yeah. programs are all reduced. Let's just say that we get rid of most of those bureaucracies. That would make a huge difference. I think that from that standpoint, if we can agree on that, we're already pretty much in agreement on what liberty would look like. I mean, that's like half of it right there. When I speak of anarchy, I speak of anarchy in terms of we've gotten to that limited government point of view where we've achieved that level of society. Let's take it a step closer. Let's just say all these states, they allow for a particular county to say, you can set up your camp here. You guys can experiment with your stateless society here, run things the way you see fit. We will not interfere. You won't have to pay taxes. You won't have to abide by our rules. You can do whatever you want, and we can see how things go. And that so would be I have ideal. a question. So in a world of a, a stateless, how would be like the approach for um, like something like COVID? COVID? Yeah, like an epidemic. You, you like let COVID. you let you let people choose for themselves the way that they think it should be handled. Okay, so the government wouldn't be closing businesses. No. Okay. And if and honestly, that that lends to a great idea. Through time, people would learn best practices of what works and what doesn't work. The this kind of lends back to something I often say about capitalism. The biggest problem people have when it comes to capitalism and free markets, especially and when it comes to liberty is the consequences that come with it. And you have to enable people the right and ability to suffer the consequences as well as the benefit. Um, In a society, not everything's going to be perfect. 
you're going to have problems where people get hurt, people suffer, and that's part of the process of evaluating decisions. So there will be phases where maybe a society makes a choice about how to do respond to a pandemic, and maybe they get it wrong. So they learn from that. Now, hopefully they don't learn from that by creating a government, but hopefully they can learn about what they can do better and different next time. But it's not controlled at the federal level. Correct. Right. That's the key. And then others, or say other, like say two neighboring communities, one does it one approach and one does a different approach. They can, just like in the market, they can see who's doing better and then adopt better practices accordingly. When scheduling this episode, I had told Yanni about you a little bit, Brian, and that you articulate like an anarcho capitalist uh, viewpoint in my opinion very well and that does kind of raise some because i'm intrigued with different stuff i read michael malice's uh book the uh anarcho handbook the anarchist handbook. anarchist handbook it, very fascinating all those lefties are fascinating and i actually do enjoy listening to them so yanni thinks that because of me she's starting to associate li- anarcho libertarian or anarcho capitalist is is being more lefty so so she said oh is he is he uh uh you know she's like what kind of uh, anarchist is no, he you I don't know think is, something I think along those lines I'm and i was excited when you posted that thing about marxism being <laughs> satanic satanic i tagged yanni in that because i was like this is good this is what i'm this is why i'm scheduling this fucking episode is because it doesn't have to be although i am somewhat intrigued i've never leaned to the left i've never experienced that so i'm intrigued by it at least a little to at least try to understand a little bit more about it. So I, I, I think it's important to realize that, that limited government can be um, at least a, a, a destination or a goal. When I uh, first encountered libertarianism, particularly even those who were anarchists, I too made the assumption that they were very left-leaning mm-hmm. because many of the policies and ideas that we ascribe to are often popularized by the left, but for different reasons and in different ways. Mm. Let's just say, take migration, for instance. Uh, Anybody who speaks of open borders it. and free migration is immediately accused of being an open border commie. Mm. So here's what I say to that. This is a very fascinating topic. So here's what I say to that. That was actually, immigration was one of the toughest things I had to overcome to really arrive at what we call euphemistically and Kapistan, which is the theoretical place of anarchy. Most so, likely, most commonly used as a pejorative. Yeah. So, and Kapistan, right? Actually, we embrace it. We love Do it. You? Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's a term of endearment. For so us. it's almost like a criticism would be, and Kapistan is some... Um, Third world, you know, anarchic state. So some you, you, euphoric, uh, so typi- utopian. So typically, um, ending drug wars, ending the uh, drug law, all drug laws, ending all welfare and open borders are typically among the chief ideas among libertarians that most right-wingers tend to associate with being lefties. Could you repeat those three, please? Um, migration, the drug war, and social benefits. Okay, and so the, those three things. And those three things, our approaches on those, they tend Sorry. to can make people confused into thinking, well, you're just a lefty. So, And I would say for a good reason, because sometimes the way that they are discussed comes from a very callous... Um, way of approaching the idea they're not necessarily people you know who talk about means. you know what callous means um without feeling without emotion without regard okay. so usually when libertarians discuss those concepts 
they're done so in a very flippant, hard-lined kind of matter-of-fact as opposed to trying to appeal and reason. But not so much the immigration. They're not. They're more open with that. So I would historically. Just, so I would just say, let's just talk immigration. All right. So I don't. So the typical tripe you'll hear from a lot of, let's just say, conservatives about immigration is you just want to let people come in as much anyone who wants to come in and do whatever they want. Okay, so let's address this first of all. We believe we don't believe in borders. We believe borders are just imaginary lines on a map. If we're talking from a stateless society perspective, now the gripe comes from what is the concern that conservatives have about migration? That people come here, that they use our resources, they disrespect our culture, and they're just not very good people. Well, first of all, there's some truth to that, and then there's some exaggeration to that. Let's also keep in mind too, when it comes to using our resources. Who's allowing that to happen? Is it the people or is it the government? It's the Democrats and the Republicans. So when it comes to a person crossing the line, you don't necessarily have a problem with a person crossing the border to come here and work and raise a family. You have a problem with a person coming across the border, getting benefits, going to the ER, going to the school, using those resources that other people quote-unquote pay for and making problems for everybody else. And I can understand that. I would say all of that is directly related to the state, not the people. Yanni, does that make sense for immigration? Of course, this is an interesting topic for you being that you came yeah. to this country in 2014 at the know. age I of 27. There's, I mean, it will be a little biased for me to say I welfare, it, it helped me. At the beginning. What was so that welfare beginning. through? Was that Catholic uh, charities that helped? No, I received help from the Catholic charities, and I also received help from the welfare. Okay. So, so I received a $300 check every month. For how long? For uh, uh, until I got a job. How long was that? Six months. I'm going to need you to reimburse me for that. <laughs> yeah. That 300 times Now, six. I have friends, I have friends who said, you know what you need to do? You need to get a job under the table. Keep, keep receiving getting the money. Mm. And I did not like that because I felt like I was like, well, why is the whole reason why I came to America? Not to be dependent of the government. I believe I'm dependent on my government my whole life, well, 26 you, years well, old. What you said is a really good point. It really lends to kind of what I was getting at before. Benefits and charity. So what I was saying before is, it is the government that created a welfare system that is very burdensome and wastes a lot of money and takes a lot of money. If we went back to the private sector to where a person immigrated, uh, private groups, you know, churches could be the ones that meet you halfway and say, oh, you're new to our community. You want, you need some help. We can help you. Like and it we, was. And we will be the ones that will say, hey, You've been here for a while. What are you doing to help yourself? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just a check that keeps That's on coming. That's how it was regardless. before welfare was created. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, or, or also, Larry Sharp articulates this well. But how about we just have perfect. it more transparent? We have businesses like yeah. we need employees. Yeah. We're gonna not altruistic. We're gonna I, help because I we will use. The problem is when people try to fix things that don't have a, well, a, a, a easy fix. Oh, let's just provide more welfare. Well, let's just help so more keep in mind, people. 
the government, when they're doing this, they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. No, they're oh, manipulating yeah. so, people. So let's think about it this way. There are some people who believe in the genuine benefit of helping people. There's everybody else who knows we can manipulate this and use this to our advantage. They're not doing this because they care about that migrant crossing the border. They're doing it because they know they can manipulate that migrant into supporting them. You mean Biden doesn't just love immigrants? Is that what you mean? Look what this Biden did yesterday. Do you guys saw that? What? What did Biden so do yesterday? So now he opened. He know Cubans vote completely oh, yeah, yeah. Republican. Now yesterday he opened a law where I, as a, a family of uh, somebody, uh, an immigrant, a possible immigrant, can start paper for my immediate family member. And then you say, oh, I have a good financial situation. I can bring this person here. So I start a form which is called I-134. And then that person, which can be your sisters, brothers, mother, fathers, uh, and sons, and your children, immediate relative, can come to America. When did he do it? Exactly two years before the the election. And to that point, you said Biden. Guess who else really likes, uh, you know, migration? Mitch McConnell and no, Republican yeah. leadership. Why? Because they love the cheap labor. They love nothing more than to exploit migrants for big business for labor. Yeah. So think of it this way. And they know we work very hard. So they, they don't have so, a choice. so here's the issue. And Americans like how many my- bu- how many businesses could survive if migrants could come here and make the same wages that everybody else makes? That's part of the reason why they rely on migrant yeah. labor. So let's just say we got rid of these labor laws. And everybody was free to come here, no welfare benefits, but you had to work. It'd be a completely different story. I love it. And here's the best part: How many migrant would we sell still have the same migrant influx if we didn't have all those social benefits? I would say that that would probably be significantly reduced. Not a lot, but some. I think it would be significantly reduced enough because there are there is the attraction of knowing that you can come here and get social benefits now. There are legitimately quite a few of them that want to come here and live a good life and work hard for their life. Great. And those are the ones that we want. But guess what? You're not going to get that from the Democrats or the Republicans because they both get something out of that. They both leverage that for their benefit. I think the way that it should be, they should be letting everybody to come. But say, if you come, if you ask help from the government, unless you have a disabled disability, like really proven, like you can't walk or you have a disabled kid or something like that, really proven. As soon as but you who's get, gonna, how are you going to decide who's really proven? Because we've already known the bureaucrats. Yeah, don't th- that's the problem. That's the problem. The system is set up to not work because so they don't check we, this stuff. So again, so I, I think I want to try to bring this back to how this relates to libertarian policy is. When it comes to discussing migration, the drug war, and social benefits, we're not looking to find a way to make people suffer, give people a free ride. We just have a different approach and how we want to get those done. So with really quickly, with migration, we want people to come here and we want them to be able to work and raise families. What we don't want is a government that uses them and manipulates them for the benefit of the government. Likewise for the drug war. We're not saying we want um, drugs flowing through the streets. What we are saying is we don't want a chaotic border situation where there's lots of fighting and drug smuggling. What we would like is to give people the freedom to choose if they want to partake of a substance 
Also, we want to stop enabling them, meaning there's not going to be any more state benefits or resources for people who are drug addicts. If you get addicted to drugs, you're on your own unless somebody else is going to help you. That's your choice. And then when it comes to um, social benefits, stop with this bureaucratic charity. You know, there's better ways to help people, which is eliminate the state and let private groups which is where there's more accountability to meet people's needs. Some people might need a check. Other people just might need, you know, networking services to help them, you know, do better. So again, we're not saying we're, you know, when it comes to migration, the drug war and social benefits, we're not trying to hurt these people or give people advantages. We just have a different approach on how to handle this stuff. Also property rights. So let's talk about the border. Um, We want to enable property owners to defend their land. So that's a big part of it. Plus what's causing all this, the drug war and human trafficking. What's causing all what? The chaos at the border. Okay. It's the drugs. So you're it's talking the people about like, wanting to come here. Okay. A lot of that is the drug war. And a lot of that is because people want to come here to live here. And so they know that's the best way to smuggle people through here. Well, the best way to smuggle people through here is through what? The border. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So basically, Yanni got here. so what we're looking at is, if you reorganize the entire system for more free society, you eliminate this black market in this chaos. Makes that's sense. what creates. That's what creates. So legalized most- drugs. Absolutely. All drugs, or is All there drugs. any particular? If a person wants to huff on the back of their, you know, tailpipe, if they want to drink some Drano, <laughs> if you they know, want to smoke crack, nature, want to honestly, that. I think. I mean, this is very maybe a little naive, but human nature are very interesting. And if you tell them do something, you can do something. They well, you're not going to tell them. I don't think. To do yeah, it. I don't think we're going to tell feel them. They don't feel inclined. No, no. She's saying they, they don't as it, much. Feel yeah, inclined. the fact that it is prohibited, it makes them want oh, more. Yeah, it's agree. just like a kid when you tell them you should not do that. What's the first thing they do? Don't stick this in the socket. In high school, I got in trouble for sticking aluminum into a socket. <laughs> and I think you'll find that uh, there's a lot of legitimate concerns about libertarian ideas from people the left and the right the problem is there's just not many conversations that are happening where people are having an honest discussion going back and forth on the details to discuss because that's how i became a libertarian that's how i became an anarchist is because i had the benefit of these conversations whereas if all you know is what you read on the internet from time to time then you're really never going to get an answer. And they're also not giving a space to other people other than Democrats and Republicans who, like, uh, talk about any of these things. It's just... What what do you mean they're not giving a space? What do you mean by that? Like, all the... Who's um, they? I mean... All the media? I don't think the they media. get the opportunity. The media, everything. It, so this is who, not so a conversation that is occurring so, often so why, outside of so traditional media. So you would have to ask, why is that an opportunity? Oh, yeah, I know why. <laughs> it's the same reason why they don't want to talk about the vaccine. It's the same it's reason they business. don't want to talk a about big, big Ukraine. Business. There's a reason why people control conversations within the, you know, the corporate media, within big tech, within the government, because there's a narrative that's going around that they're trying to control. So when people want are enabled to think independently, policies just might have to change. If more people come around to realizing these wars are terrible, you know, vaccine mandates are terrible, COVID policy is terrible, drug war is terrible, people would want change. So instead, what do they do? They try to control the conversation to benefit the people in power. Yeah. Taxes are terrible right now. <laughs> 
you're not happy about the taxes you see taken out of your paycheck? Uh, from anywhere. <laughs> Yanni's My not a fan. She everywhere. reads the taxes, and you know. So, yeah. based on what we've talked about so far, what uh, what would you say is like? on your mind that you're still unsure about whether it's the drug war, foreign war, I like domestic a little, policy? Okay, maybe it's because I came from a very, very order, orderly... She's from Mexico. I like stuff. Um, I like a, a, at least a little bit of order. Oh, okay. She okay. admits that. So I think it's necessary to have a structure, mm-hmm. even though you can learn, like you said, if something goes off and it's bad... Then we'll I can agree with that. move it a little bit, but we still have a structure because structures are necessary for human nature. So what I would say to that is not only do I understand that, but I think that there's an opportunity for that. The difference is whether it's by force or by voluntary choice. What I would argue is this. In a stateless society, certain communities are going to adopt what we would call or something similar to HOAs, voluntary contracts, meaning if you live in this community, here's how we do things. If you don't like it, don't move here. It's not going to be done by force, but they would have the option through a contract to have consequences for people. So this is the thing where a lot of people get tripped up on a stateless society is what happens to the bad people? What happens to the people who don't cooperate? Murderers, pedophiles. Yeah, what happens? So first of all, if someone actually initiates force, you're allowed to use force to defend yourself, okay? Murderers and criminals and people who cause trouble are not allowed to just run around and cause trouble. In terms of, let's just say, bad behavior, maybe it's not necessarily an initiation of force, but it's a form of behavior people don't like. Then you have market and social consequences where you can conduct boycotts, you can socially ostracize them, you can give them a bad reputation. What's that? That's where basically you refuse to do business with them. So, So if I am running a coffee shop and I'm being a little racist, like I'm like, no, I don't want to serve those Hispanics, which I don't. You know, mm-hmm. so then people would boycott the the people would stand up in the society that say we're not going there even though we're white we're not going there he's racist that'd be so, a boycott so let's say you lived in a community where they had certain standards and a certain person moved in there and for a while they abide by those standards then they decide you know what screw that i just want to do things my way so what are your recourse so what they can do is they can turn off their utilities they can appeal to their employer they can appeal to their family and friends and say this person's not behaving the way that they're supposed to. They haven't technically gonna, initiated force, but they're so not. They're, so they're going to use leverage to coerce, you know, either you comply or you politely move on. And it's not it perfect. sounds like a dictatorship, too. Dictatorship in what way? Because it's not one person. It's a community. And it's not force. Technically, no, one's going, mass. no one's going to remove it's still them. still a group of people. Yeah, but you're there by choice. But you're there by choice, and you're knowingly violating an agreement that you made explicitly. Oh, because you made it before. So let's just say it's like you're familiar with an HOA, correct? Homeowners? Homeowners. So let's just say we have an HOA for an entire area. Let's just say that this area around here, like, you know, the three to four square miles. Let's say this was an HOA in a stateless society. And there's a contract that you agree to while you live here. Okay. And they somebody says, you know what? I've lived here for a while now. I don't agree with this contract, but I don't want to move. I'm just going to do things my way. I'm not going to mow my lawn. I'm going to walk around butt naked. I'm going to play crazy music and everybody's going to hate me, right? Okay. So at that point, people can approach you and confront you and take measured steps to hold you accountable. And if you refuse, let's just say you're the ultimate asshole. 
You're saying, screw you. I'm not going to talk to you. You guys can't do nothing to me. I'm not hurting anybody else, so you can't hurt me. Okay, we're going to go to your employer. We're going to cut off your water. We're going to cut off your electric. We're going to talk to your friends and family. Let them know what's going on. We're going to make your life miserable so that ultimately you either decide it's better off for you to leave or to get in line with the agreement that you made. And that's not ideal. And I'm sure there would be exceptions where it doesn't end very pleasant and then right. violence happens and things. It's not perfect. That's it's not utopian. And that's actually a perfect point. No one's going to claim that a stateless society is perfect. There's yeah. absolutely going to be situations where you're going to have groups that are behaving badly and aren't acting in good faith. And I would say to that, just like in a free market, a free market, not everybody's going to be awesome. Not everybody's going to be rich and wealthy and prosperous. To that, I would say this. There's going to be those pitfalls and imperfections and people are still going to suffer. Right. I'll take that any day over what we have now, which is a, basically a soft, tyrannical government to where you have less freedom and less recourse over the power of the state. So do you want to take the occasional strife of a free society where you're free to choose what's best for you and have the consequences or the benefits of your choices versus a government that can crack down on you with little recourse oh, for yeah, the Oh, yeah, and they did. What do you mean they did? I mean, they did when things got really pretty bad after COVID. COVID, yeah. yeah. That's one example house. of the government cracking down. So yeah. would you rather take more personal responsibility to make good choices I and get along with people? I love personal responsibility choice, but the, <laughs> I wish everybody would agree Right, with that. So, but we can agree then that more freedom for personal choice to do what's right for you as long as you're not hurting others right. is beneficial. Then the argument comes up, well, what about those who can't take care of themselves? Well, those are the exception, not the rule. And we yeah. can have the means to organize and work together to help those people. Yeah. That's the exception. But I think that should be voluntary. Absolutely. It shouldn't be like, oh, well, I need you need to help that person. Otherwise, you're a very bad person. She's and a then I'm taking the $10. I'm taking $10 every paycheck from you because you all need to be a good person. And trust me, I'll manage your $10 every paycheck. I, I got that. Yeah, I got like you. I like you know like I know you're becoming a give libert- me my statement <laughs> give me the statement that that's really what you're doing with my money she's becoming a libertarian i think sounds like it <laughs> so again we understand the concerns i understand the concerns because i had these concerns and so i've had to work hard to reconcile them and to understand what makes sense the problem is a lot of people either they don't want to ask the questions they don't want to think it through or they don't want to be honest to consider and weigh what they know versus what they don't know a lot of people are just comfortable with what they know and where they're at. Mm. They feel like they have a good beat on what things are. And they're like, this is what I like. This is what I know. They don't want to take that extra step and recons- and consider other possibilities and go beyond the surface of that. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know that I'll explain this well, but in my life, people who are more successful financially, business owners, wealthy people, oftentimes conservatives, um, that I have personally known. Now, this isn't a big-time study. This is my personal experience. Um, Often donate money to charitable uh, causes, often. And they actually like to help people, at least in my experience that I have seen. The church also enjoys helping people. We've seen that through the the Catholic uh, schools. Uh, My stepdaughter, Carla, 
She goes to a private school and we've had a great most, experience. Yeah, half of their tuition is paid by a church. Is paid for Actually, by private not donors. Church, by private donors. Private people donating to the church. Yeah. And then because Yanni was able to qualify, we were able to qualify yeah. for financial assistance. Half of the tuition was taken care of by these. Let's be real. Yeah. W- wealthier people who chose to donate the money to the church. Yeah. And it, that means it's half of fourteen thousand dollars a year. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. So that's just an example to me. I'm not saying people on the left are not charitable. I think it's it's flown as a flag. Like if you are charitable and you care about others, yeah. you're on the left automatically. In my experience in life, that has not been the case. Well, let's also be yeah. clear too. When it comes to charity, taxes are not charity. And you don't get to claim to be charitable with other people's money. You know, um, Pendulet used to be a pretty solid libertarian prior <laughs> to COVID. Golly. And um, he's known for making a really good point that uh, if your idea of charity is voting to raise taxes and take money from other people to pay for services for others, that's not charity. That's the ultimate form of cowardice. Yes. Yeah. I'm charitable, so I'm going to shame you into everybody else taking that's, your money. That's, yeah. like, I mean, that's, that's not charity. That's like the three of us going to dinner, and I'm going to take your debit card to pay for her dinner. Yeah, and saying that's charitable. That's actually morally wrong. Too. <laughs> that is, you're gonna spin it like you're on a moral like high, I'm doing high you ground. A fa- like yeah. I'm doing yeah. you a favor by taking his money to pay for your meal. And if I have a problem, if I even ask questions about it, I'm a piece of shit. Yep. Yeah. So let's get to taxes and the idea that well, without taxes and without government, we wouldn't have an organized society, and we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have all the benefits we have. Um, I think we can definitely dispute after the last few years. We don't live in a peaceful law and order society. We saw riots run through numerous cities for an entire summer. We see many people who commit violent crimes who are dealt with in such a way that they pretty much get a slap on the wrist or get out of jail free card. And we see a lot of people that are very peaceful, people that are just demonstrating and protesting who are treated like criminals. For example, the January 6th. Correct. So let's not pretend that we live in a peaceful law and order society. And then when it comes to the benefits, well, we have parks and we have roads and we have utilities. Let's talk about that stuff. The government doesn't actually do any of that. They contract it out. They contract it out. They, all they do is they take the money and they con- they subcon- they're subcontractors is all they do. And they're really even poor at that because they waste money. And they, they take waste too much. a lot. So they don't really create anything. They don't really do anything. All they do is write laws and make deals. And they're even really bad at that. Yeah. So let's not pretend that the state does all this stuff. So if people wanted to, they could pool their resources in a voluntary manner to pay for a company to have clean water, to have electricity, to you know do infrastructure in a way that they don't need this middleman that's taking all their money and mismanaging it and using it for things that they never agreed to or would even want. Okay. And I think you guys are more affected than me as an immigrant that you guys live in a society that you guys didn't pick. So you guys didn't even sign a contract to live in this society. You voluntarily. I did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they would, there's the argument of the social contract, which is where a lot of this comes from. The social contract idea is the idea that by living in society, you automatically agree to the way society is set up and you pay for that society. The problem with that is, <laughs> last I checked, a contract <laughs> actually requires personal consent. 
A social contract is as mythical as a unicorn. How okay. manipulative is the verbiage of all of this? It's, it's exactly what it is. It's an appeal to an emotion, to an assumption. Could you this, walk me through that again so some of our listeners so who didn't catch what you said the, the, understand the, what the manipulation is? The manipulation is the concept of the social contract, which, which is the assumption that by merely living in an area, you agree to the way things are being done, <laughs> despite the fact that you never were once consulted or asked personally explicitly if you agree to everything that they're doing so that to me is probably one of the most ridiculous and insane ideas but people just go with it because it sounds good because the alternative because the alternative is to think things through and realize no i didn't actually consent to any of this neither did my parents and the reason why that they say that is they usually say that because there's a basic structure that they agree to taxation and services they just want the power to do it. So let's just say that we had libertarians running the government. And let's say we started cutting spending, cutting taxes, and limiting government power. Would they still believe in the social contract then? Probably not. They'd probably think that you know we're out of our minds and we're crazy. We would argue this is the social contract. This is what you signed up for when you were first born. Why don't you why don't why don't you go why don't you move to Somalia if you don't like it? So there's a lot of assumptions that go into people who just naturally accept the world and the society around them. They think this is good. You're brought up into it. You're raised to believe through public schools, through media, through the news, that the society around you is the way that it should be and that this is acceptable and it's appropriate and we all got to do our part to make it a little bit better. But as long as we agree with the basic tenets that you pay your taxes and abide by the rules and go to school and do your part. It's complete brainwashing. It's indoctrination. I agree. Yanni, do you know anything about brainwashing or indoctrination? Now that we're talking about it, actually, you guys were very lucky that the social contract that you guys got into when you were born is a thousand times better than what I got. Interesting topic. (laughs) All this being said, the United States is the biggest government in the history of humanity. For the record, I'd like to argue you at least had access to better beaches and better food. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Less chemicals in my body. True. Less chemicals in my body. Um, what else? She lived so, about so half oh, actually, the beach. It's actually funny, though, that you say that, because I used to work with a guy who actually immigrated from Cuba, and he would actually sp- sing the praises of the free education, and I thought that was really ironic. Because he got a free education, and he actually appreciated the gun laws as well, because he didn't like guns. And it was ironic that I'm like... Thinking to myself, okay, you thought that the price of everything that you experienced in Cuba, that you had to manipulate your way out, but it was good because they had free education. Now, think about it this way. Why do people value free education? Because education right now is very expensive. Why is it expensive? It's expensive because of federal loans, because loans are guaranteed by the government, and schools are making a lot of money, which makes it very inaccessible. It's not a free market. Okay, yeah. cheeseburgers are very cheap, generally speaking. Why are they cheap? Because there's multiple places you can go to get yourself a cheeseburger. It's not a heavily regulated market. There's not a lot of free money involved. You have to buy your own damn cheeseburger. So inflated costs create what we have now in the education systems, particularly with higher education. If we eliminated the federal government in terms of the subsidies and loans, then watch how quickly the price drop. Because why are they? Because they know that they can demand more money 
because that money is going to be paid. Yeah. If you remove that, prices start to go down. They demand we, we more actually, money, and then they complain even when they get a raise. All the teachers and the unions are going to say, we need even more. You guys are yeah. all pieces so, of shit. We yeah. need more. And then the next year, they need more. And then, oh, my God, and this then, system's broken. Then, wait, we need what? more and more. University is ranking, too, yeah. by the government. So nearly every argument that comes to a social benefit is usually a problem that is a result of the government intervening in the first place, exacerbating or even creating the problem. So when people talk about, I like these benefits, well, you only like these benefits because the need for that benefit was created in the first place. Mm. So the Cuban was uh, asking for free education here? No. So what he's saying is, is he liked the free education because he didn't want to spend, you know, five, ten, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. The free education uh, from Cuba. So I'm like, well, here's a problem though. If we didn't have to worry about spending thousands of dollars a year on education because the prices are inflated, then you wouldn't even think of that as an issue. Yeah. What would your response be to that guy well, about the education? We, well, free education for what? You graduate, you make what? 16 hours, $16 a month. And then you yeah. have to w figure out the way to make money under the table doing things that are legally so, so wrong from my like perspective selling tobacco that like selling stuff so that's a very hypocritical way to defend a free education i'll just be honest if i'm being real that guy to me sounds horribly misinformed and dumb well just being honest. which because which, like what is an education which, you're being if you think about it it's 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 we cannot blame him. He looks him. at his... No, he, I, I cannot blame him. So he I, went, did not, I have not experienced so what I'll, he has. So I'll say yeah. this. So basically what happened was he went to school for computers in Cuba. So he learned computers, some kind of computer science or whatever it was. And that gave him the ability to have create a living when he came here to America. Really? So he looks at it as like, you gave me a benefit that I can then wow. work myself yeah. up from. I'm like, well, cool. But again, it comes back to, it doesn't even matter what he got that benefit for. The reason why you're thinking free is a good idea is because you didn't have the ability to pay for it. You didn't have the means to pay for it. Why didn't you have the means to pay for it? It's because it was too expensive. Again, why was it too expensive? Mm -hmm. Because the market was altered. It was inflated by federal loans. Right. So if the, if the government stops inflating federal loans and subsidizing them, then you don't have to worry about spending $10,000 a year. And then therefore the appeal of a free education no longer applies to you. The whole entire embargo and the trade sanctions on Cuba is relevant in this conversation too, yes. if we're being fair. Mm -hmm. Which is completely wrong. We should not. Embargo and sanctions only affect the people. They don't affect the regimes. So that is an interesting topic. Yeah. And I think one that is almost I, divisive but is when it, it comes it's to. It's used by the government. So think so about. if you so take that out of the picture, what is the government going to use then to blame the United States for so everything? So let's just. So. Cuba, from what I understand, was actually a pretty nice place pre-embargo. Very abandoned. So just like uh, compared I, to the rest of Latin America, just yes. like Iran. Iran was a lovely place to live back in, I believe, up until like the '60s or early '70s. I forget. I'm not exactly the biggest history history buff here, so I'll just say that most places, when they've had something that resembled a more free market, they obviously did much better. It's only when the government gets involved and starts manipulating that things go to shit. So what's interesting, okay, about the Republican contingency of Cubans, Marco Rubio is probably the most popular representative for that group, right? Yeah, but Senator from Florida, right, Yanni? Yeah. He's the Republican who's flying He's the Cuban the one flag. He talks the most about it, yeah. He's very pro embargo. He's very pro, yeah, yeah. 
So I, I but it hasn't solved any problem. That's the that's the reality. I mean, if you have an approach and it doesn't work, you got to change it. Mm-hmm. I think that's compartmentalized thinking on his part. Um, think about it this way: here he is, a powerful U.S. senator who claims to want freedom. Yeah, he doesn't want people of Cuba to have freedom. Does he? What does he think is going to happen? Is he worried that the regime of Cuba is somehow? going to be embraced by the world community if they become a free society, if the borders open up? No, here's what's going to happen. The people of Cuba are going to become very prosperous, and they're going to realize they're entitled to a lot more than what the Cuban government well, is I also be. disagree with that in the way that that's what had happened with China, and people in and China do not have it right. China is not a free society. Yeah, but that's what I mean. So you, they don't you have it an sounded embargo. like you were suggesting... I, I, I want to interpret what I think she's yeah. saying. It sounded like you were suggesting if we lifted the sanctions, the people of Cuba no, would become prosperous. They won't become That's prosperous. That's what it sounded why, like. Why wouldn't they become prosperous? I would assure you they won't. Because of because the, government the government repressing their people. Yes. And they're, they're, they're controlling whether they can come or they go. They will always do. I mean, they're making everything state-owned. Mm-hmm. Communism. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So here's what's going to happen. Here's the problem with that. When you have a free society, people are going to come go. So unless the Cuban government starts limiting who can come and who and can they go. Oh, they don't start. They, they have they started that well, since 1959. What I'm trying to say is there's going to be incentive because businesses, when they realize, oh, you're oppressing your people, we're not going to do business there. Now, some of them will, but there's going to be more incentive for them to become more free when they realize there's more opportunity for prosperity. So if we lifted the sanctions in Cuba, you're suggesting that would encourage, even if it was still state-owned, that would encourage free trade to some degree? The flip side is, I'll say this, the people will still benefit more or less. There's going to be still more of a benefit. What I would argue now... What the, people? That's the hang question. On, hang on, hang on. What I would say, I mean, the people that live there. I mean, it's... No. it's Okay, no, so the so? government, the family of the government, the officials, the communists, the people of the P, uh, Partido Revolucionario Cubano, which is a, uh, the Communist Party, those are the one. Okay, so then we, the rest, like you, normal you, people like like right. me, will never touch any of that. Okay, any of that. Okay, let's put it this way: Do you think that they're going to refuse to let anybody leave? They already do. I have to. So, are they going to? Uh, is there like a border fence? Are they going to prevent people from leaving on their own? Well, like, it's an island, right? But are people not? Gonna, are the people not going to be free to leave on their own if the, if the embargo is lifted? Part of the reason. Well, why the you embargo have, doesn't have anything to do with. Well, the embargo. Well, the, the embargo prevents transportation. Uh, yeah, commercial transportation. So, if you allow for true commercial transportation for free commerce, then people would have more opportunity to come and go. In effect, mm-hmm. it may not make it to where it's like, oh, you can come and go as yeah. you please. What, what I am interpreting that Brian is saying is it would trend in a more yeah. yes, it's kind of uh, like free people. trade type direction. Yeah, but that's what is not going to happen because they learn from well, Russia. I would with say, the perestroika and the other one, the the, the two things that did uh, what's his nost. name? Well. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's going to be America. They already learned that lesson. What I'm saying is it will get better for those people. There will be an incremental. It'll be a trickle down, small effect, but it would be trending at least in a better direction. Not not fair. Now, the government, I don't think they will take any chances. They will be like, oh, well, if we open, we're going to get better financially. But if we open, then we're going to lose control. Let's just, okay, so let's just say that there's some merit to your argument. What do you propose that we crack down and continue? Because 
What I no, see. No, my proposal is that they take the embargo, but I assure you that the people are not going to be. But we're just so, going so to need to see what's going to happen. But why do you want? So do you want to lift the embargo out of principle or what? No, I just want to. I would like to for them to leave the the um, embargo just because we have had an embargo since 1959. But what do you think is going to what's going to benefit of lifting the embargo? That people are still going to suffer. Well, we'll see the consequences. She, she's as saying it goes. that she she doesn't want. The, the Cuban government to be able to say the only reason we're struggling is yes, because of this embargo. Yes, that's the only thing she I want. doesn't want them to have the no. excuse. Because then that's going to have, I think the only reason, I do not think the embargo is going to make things better for people, but it's going to lift some so blinds. So look at communist China. I would argue that as crappy as it is there, people still have access to a lot a lot. Oh, now, yeah. the difference is the society is still controlled, but people can come and go. There's a lot more people that move, you know, the people that travel in and out of China, it's a different society, but they still have a lot. It probably depends on what part of China you live in. If you're in the Uyghur camps, I don't think you... So what I'm trying to say is you raise a good point that the government is going to still assert control. What I'm saying is there's there's going to be more opportunity for more freedom of travel and prosperity. Agreed. There are people from China who definitely prosper, people who understand... I'm going to break out of this mindset and I'm going to do better for myself. I'm either going to try to better my situation here or I'm going to travel abroad. There are people that do. The problem that happens is the difference with China versus Cuba, I think, and this is where Cuba has the advantage, there's more independent-minded people in Cuba that are willing to do what it takes to get freedom, to get prosperity, whereas in China, I think they're definitely more brainwashed into just... Generations, even yes. before yeah, communism. It's just very so I think whatever you're seeing in China, it would actually be better better in Cuba because there's more people in Cuba who already know that they want something better. Now, I just want to be clear that the the what I think that it would happen in this what I wanted to see is that if they lift the embargo, people in Cuba will know that. And that is going to change their minds. I'm not an expert on the Cuba embargo. I just know as a matter of principle, I just want yeah. to lift the embargo. Yep. How that would play out, I really don't want to speak to that. That's not why the matter. embargo is lifted. Uh, you can make a case for the benefit of the people trickle down effect, but but at its core, the Libertarian Party is called let's oftentimes not, the not, party of principle. Yeah, let's not intervene in another. So then, based on a, a libertarian society, you will lift all the sanctions of the whole world, 100%, including Russia. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Including Russia. And we'd also oh, not. Yeah. We would okay. not be doing foreign aid either. Okay. We wouldn't what have about, bases. Uh, no no money. No weapons. The Allies. Uh, the no. The Allies. NATO. NATO. What do you think about that? Walk away from it. Should I claim, was his name Zelensky on my dependence this year? <laughs> do libertarians have any types of opinions when it comes to foreign policy? Is the question. I've never heard that question asked before. <laughs> That's a new one. You got me stumped on that one. Well, let me ask you this. What, is, what would you say is your most compelling or largest concern regarding foreign policy? Um, I truly believe that Russia is a very imperialist country, the same as the United States. But what do you? But what do you want? It, what is your as far as policy goes? What is something? No, that you I support? think I think in that way I agree. But you were saying that I mean, there's other impi- so so that's not your number one concern when it comes to foreign Honestly, policy. Honestly, I just like do you support wars of intervention? I gotta be honest because I can't lie. Thank you. The only intervention I would definitely agree, and then I can be judged for that, Cuba. <laughs> Is it so? If we just go in and just start bombing Cuba, you'd be happy. So let's just say this. But that's you should ignore me, my vote, because I'm too biased. 
So you should definitely not take my word for it. Um, I would say this. Um, <laughs> as somebody who used to be a huge proponent of the war on terror, I absolutely believe in 100% bringing all troops home, ending all foreign aid, and just being allow, I would promote diplomacy and commerce and get out of the foreign aid and the military interventions. Let, I agree. Let peace that would and, lower my let, taxes? Let peace and prosperity. Well, if you're not paying, you know, upwards of a trillion dollars a year in defense spending, absolutely. Okay, that, that is an interesting topic, and I don't know that I'll describe this well, but the, the Federal Reserve and the ability of the United States to control the world currency has um, positively probably impacted everyone in this room. It has. We live a pretty good fucking life. This is probably the best place on earth to live. Well, actually, I think that's kind of a very trick question. I would say it's the exact opposite. The Federal Reserve has prevented you from living a more prosperous life. You think so? I agree. And I'm not even the expert on Federal Reserve. I will say that as a libertarian, that's not one of the things that I've gotten into really deep into the weeds on. I definitely know it on a conceptual level, Mm -hmm. and I understand what it's about, fractional banking and basically the credit system. Um I'm not going to be the one to argue on that topic in terms of how it should be rearranged. What I will say is if you don't have the money backed by something real, like say the gold standard, that should be the starting point. Right now we're printing money, which devalues the dollar. So also when you're talking about printing money, that's what enables you to do all these crazy policies. If I have an endless credit card that never runs out and hits a limit, then I can afford to pretty much do whatever I want. By ending the Federal Reserve, you take away the credit card and you force the government to live within its means, which means it can't do endless social benefits, COVID policies, war, all that kind of stuff. You end all that. I guess my point is, Yanni, your mother currently lives in Spain. Mm -hmm. She's from Cuba. She's been in Spain for a few years. We hope to get her to the United States ASAP. Because uh-huh. that'd be better, even if she didn't move in with us. Uh-huh. It'd be better for her to live in the United States than anywhere else on Earth. Yeah. Would you agree, Brian? Hundred percent. Okay. And then we, the United States, just coincidentally happens to be the economy that controls the world currency, and so it's unrelated that we control everything in the whole world. And this is the best place to live. I'm not saying yeah. that that I'm making an. It sounds like I'm making an imperialist argument and i guess no, i kind I, of no. am so this is right i think this is a good segue into something i would say is there's a lot of libertarians who don't like the idea of nationalism or being proud of your country just to put it in very simple terms i actually love america i think america is awesome i even like the flag as a simple of a, what america should be okay or it was um i think the issue when it comes to having pride in america is at its core is this is the experiment of liberty. Not America, what it currently is, but mm-hmm. what it could and should have been, which is a land of free people. That's where it ends, full stop. I don't love the government at all. Okay. I actually think that the government is, is as tyrannical as it can get, but I love the idea of our society, the reason for our founding, to have a free people. So in that respect, there's not in really, there's a cut, there, I would say there's been some people over the years who have argued certain small groups that have experienced some measure of a free society but they've not been the most advanced or you know not i just say that we have done the best with it but we're far from where we should be okay i agree with him because like the way the government is doing is basically destroying the american dream because what i could have like my money would have extend more 
if they wouldn't print if, if they wouldn't print more money. Your raises that you get at work for working at the hospital each year are not keeping up. With no, they're not keeping up with the the the, the printing, and and it's not good for my. I would be a lot more better if 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 they will take less money from me. So, so how do we do that? Not through just taxes, but indirect taxes, which money printing yeah. is So an, I came here tax. to really work hard, to make more money, to, to go, you know, grow and have what I never had. What I came here, I only so have $20. And now I have a little more. So it's like you're taking what I could be where I could be. So do you know? Who, so do you know who is one of the biggest proponents of the Federal Reserve and all these policies that are lessening your money? The Republican Party, particularly yeah, the establishment. So Ron DeSantis as, is so, not going to represent the idea of cutting down on spending. So here's my question to you as someone who considers yourself, I think you consider yourself a pretty strong Republican. Um, well, if, you, if you understand that the party supports the big government, the leadership at least, not all Republicans, we know that Thomas Massey and Rand Paul don't, but the leadership of the party supports the large government. How do you reconcile supporting a party, which in its current form and the way that it's always been, supports always and been. has actually been pretty much the biggest contributor because when they've had power, they've made things worse. How do you reconcile supporting that party? Because for me, it came down to this. I don't believe that there's any way you can ever have a Republican Party that's actually going to be for freedom because there's too many within it, especially the leadership that will always favor big government. I don't presume that the Libertarian Party is going to take over anytime soon, but at least that's a cause I can support because at least I know that if I'm supporting the Republican Party, for the most part, I'm just supporting the status quo. So I don't see any benefit to supporting the party because there's, there's, you're never going to get 220 Thomas Masseys. Therefore, right. you're never going to get legislation or results that you want. I mean, I get it. I do get it that Republicans are... As shady as the other, well, now I I would say Democrats are more shady, because they they like to play with politics better. I think there's a lot more but people that want freedom. And what I am I doing with voting libertarian? If it doesn't do anything, then my taxes won't be lower anyways. So here's what I see happening, and this is going to sound a little bit controversial. Like but how there, long do I need to two, vote libertarian? So do you know how many times I've heard people say, "Well, if I vote libertarian, then nothing's going to happen." You know how many people think that? So many people. Now imagine all those people voting libertarian. Imagine the change that there would be. But the problem is, it's the same thing with, look, I'm not the biggest fan of voting, to be honest. But if we're going to go down that road, if every person who thinks, screw the Republicans, throw all the bums out, if they all voted libertarian, the libertarian party would absolutely take over. But it's not going to. No. And there's no assumption that it will. We don't think it will. No, never. However, I'd be more likely just to not vote for the president. I'll do a protest vote in a way, and I'm gonna, I look forward to voting for Spike Cohen or Dave Smith Here, or whoever. Here's, I what, here's what I think will happen. Here's your, here's your options, and it gets a little bit nuanced. First of all. Nuanced? Stop, stop supporting. Complicated? Yes. Yeah. Nuanced, yep. Stop supporting the party. You can support individuals. You can even support PACs that are for certain causes, but don't support the party. Mm. Number two, emphasize federalism, which is states' rights. Or I should say states' power. States' rights is kind of an oxymoron. It's not a real thing. Support federalism, which is empowering the states over the federal government. 
stop supporting the national party. The national party does is absolutely zero power, zero, um, how shall I say, zero value at this point. The state, the Republican Party as it stands is absolutely worthless, one hundred percent. Okay. Support the states. Support governors and legislatures. Support individual elected officials that have actually demonstrated that they have principle that they will abide by and empower the states to run things in a way that it's more beneficial for them and to nullify the federal government. That, to me, is probably the most viable path forward. What, what would both of you guys say to someone who says, okay, that's all great. I get it. That's all great. <laughs> Everything you said makes sense, Brian. Yanni, you guys, you agreed. Great. It's cute. Realistically, the left is trying to fucking take over our country with some weird shit. Yeah, that's the problem. With some weird fucking shit. That's the shit problem. So the, Repo- so, the, so the Republican Party is not stopping that. In fact, many Republicans are enabling that. So number one, voting for the Republican Party is not going to do that. Number two, I would even argue, and this is a little bit more on the extreme side, and I was actually going to allude to this, is it so terrible to have a reckoning? Is it so terrible to maybe let the left win and push Republicans to the point to where we're all out of other options? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Is that the worst thing ever? I mean, I honestly think that the possibility of secession is one of the, if we don't have federalism, secession is the next best thing. So, so, so How do you guys feel about secession? Well, I am very, um, do you know, are you familiar with secession by chance? No. What does secession it mean? means when a state breaks away from the union? Mm. California, for example, if hilarious. They've talked about it a lot. That was when Trump was in office. <laughs> the the people in California are like, we don't need all this make America great again shit. That's a, we don't associate with those bums. We want to just have California as our own country. Yeah. Yeah, I would be like, I'm just cool, very afraid, to be honest. <laughs> afraid of where of I what? come from, where <laughs> I come from, if you leave the left to take the power, it go nuts. Well, they're not taking the power. You're taking your power away from them is what you're doing. So No, words, I don't think so, so. So here's what would happen. Let's just if say, they win, that's called dictatorship. No, so I think you're misunderstanding what secession means. Secession means Kentucky. Let's just say the Kentucky legislator, and let's just say we got a Republican, we probably won't get but a Republican governor. Let's just say we vote to secede. That means Joe Biden and the Democrats and the Republicans have no say. I'm getting a cramp. They have no say over us whatsoever. We independently run ourselves. That's what Texas has talked about. When you secede, you're basically telling everybody else, we're running our own house. You have no influence or control over us whatsoever. That's what that means. It's an independent state. How realistic is that? Like, let's say for the next election. Realistic or viable? Because I would say those are two very different questions, and I would say realistic, I think it's becoming more realistic the bigger the government gets. There's a large Texas movement already underway for Texas to succeed. I would say that the way things have escalated in about 10 years, if things continue to get worse... I think secession for several states will be very option will be very very much talked about and extremely viable. And we're looking at it in terms of we're very uh, impatient. We want things done right now, but we looked at how bad things got over the last few years. Now imagine in ten years if it follows a similar trajectory, secession won't be that crazy. People have already talked about it. Rush Limbaugh himself floated secession 
in one of his last broadcasts. I remember distinctly. I think he may have, in one of those last broadcasts, he mentioned, uh, who is it from Florida? We had coffee with him. Oh, yeah. I can't um, remember his name. He's the Republican in So Rush Limbaugh, like Mr. Republican Party himself, floated secession after the 2020 elections and said, maybe we need to consider this as an option because what it basically means is, is if everybody else at the federal level is going to continue to give you the finger, maybe it's time you give them the finger back. Okay. That's all that means. And I can, part of, I'm not saying it's, I, I foresee it happening, but I part of me thinks you got, like laws where you're allowed to go into Target and steal like what up to a thousand dollars and just oh walk out. Yeah, I mean, you, there are certain uh, indicating factors that suggest. Well, it's not sustainable. Se- a lot of this shit is not good. Secession is not going to be something people are going to wake up to. It's only going to be after everything else is exhausted. Federalism to me is going nullification is a big one. That's what's really being talked about within a lot of political circles, especially within the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus. We want to push for nullification, which basically means law enforcement and bureaucracies have no say in your in your local area because you refuse their resource. You don't give them the resources, like say for law enforcement. They can't enforce gun laws without local help because they don't have the manpower or the resources to do it. So if your local city says, no, we're not going to give you those resources, then those gun laws become pretty much nullified. They become mute. So that's what we're talking about is basically pushing back against D.C. and saying, kind of within the vein of the Tenth Amendment, you have no say here on these matters. That's what we're pushing for. I think that's extremely viable. I think people need to really consider that, and I would really like that. I'm, a, I'm kind of a, open to all these options. Mm-hmm. The problem that I have with that is, Republicans have shown time and time and time again they always will favor big government in some way. Oh, yeah, they and they, suck. And, they, and they will always backstab you over that. But I will not let the Democrats to win. Well, no, here's the problem. But they are already winning. They are, they've already, they're, they're running. I mean, right now. It's been a long time since Republicans won the popular vote. We're not able to say things that maybe three or four years ago we would have had no problem saying. Even on this podcast, you think? You think so? I bet you. So they're they already winning. If we were to talk about things that like secession or pushing it back against the government in a meaningful way, we could get flagged for it. I wonder, part of me wonders if, if we already are, like if this podcast. Sure. I haven't, we haven't actually said anything as far as I'm concerned. Not I, this exact episode. I want, I want things to be peaceful. I don't want any violence whatsoever. I want nothing more than governors and legislatures to nullify the federal government and say we're running our own house. I yeah. want that. That's what I ultimately Well, and want. their concept, violence, it's not necessarily physical. But uh, here's the thing. Who's Vote. violence? I mean, the way the... Well, the, yeah. the new definitions of so, But on the <laughs> other hand, what I'm getting at is the left, they speak of revolution and violence and demonstrations and protests like it's drinking, you know, water. It's not a big deal to them. It's very casual. They know they can get away with that. So what does that tell you about the left winning? The Democrats are winning. They have won. That's why the the Mises Caucus or the Rothbardian Libertarians, I I do think it's a a strength or a... a, a The Ron Paul Revolution. It's very important that a big tenant of that is the non-aggression principle. Sounds corny to some. But All I the do think it's important to keep that in mind that it does not involve a violent revolution. The, the non, it doesn't mean you can't be armed and ready to defend yourself. It just means you don't go out there and start shit first. That's all. I mean. Although there are some people who would argue 
that the government has already encroached upon you, mm. so therefore you have the right. There is that yeah. argument. And that does happen. Well, that's what effectively caused the BLM riots of 2020 is they believed that they were already wronged so that they had the right to so go out there. They could, by their definition, yes. the Marxist BLM leaders could say, we were only retaliating. Exactly. Damn. So. Yeah. That's the thing. They have all the tools. So when you say that you don't want the left to win, you don't want the Democrats to win, I'm just imploring you. They have won. They rule this country. Oh, they, yeah. So, so you agree, notes. Yanni, that they rule this country? Yeah. So they, And who has enabled them? The Republicans. When's the last time you heard Mitch McConnell or oh Kevin McCarthy yeah. speak about fighting back against the spending, COVID policies? They haven't. They enabled all of it. Yeah. So where does that tell Even you about Trump, the Republican Party? So when he, people, Didn't he question somebody for not doing the COVID vaccine? <laughs> Oh, yeah. DeSantis didn't publicly well, say whether he was vaccinated, boosted. Yeah. DeSantis refused to say, acknowledge whether or not he had been I'm boosted. And Trump, gonna, Trump's gonna, mocking him for that. I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole about Trump. All I'm going to say is this. Trump is one of the biggest con men ever. <laughs> He's an absolute fraud. He's a liar. Anyone who still, look, I'm not going to say he was completely wrong on everything. And I'm not going to say that he was completely ineffective or useless on everything. But he absolutely, more often than not, he lied, and he bent the knee. Okay. They all lied, though. Brian, how old are you? 47. Who's the best president of your lifetime? (laughs) Best in what way? Overall. At least Clinton came to the table with the Republicans in the 90s. Okay. With Newt? That, I would actually argue we achieved more limited government in the 90s. That's crazy. Clinton supposedly had a balanced budget. And they did not because, operate but, but a that deficit. Was, but that was because of the Republicans, the Republican Congress. I would say we had more limited government in the 90s than we've ever had before. Now, so I'm not a historian and I'm not an expert, but I would say, but again, we're talking about degrees of insanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like crazy which, insane or just a little which insane. Which serial killer is the craziest? Yeah, which one is the <laughs> Or the least crazy. The least crazy, <laughs> yes, yeah, the best. So the morally I will the say best that one. I've always said, Trump's regulatory posture was very good. He was all about deregulating. I will also say, yes, he was good on not starting new wars, but he sucked at ending wars. Did and he lower the taxes at some point? They for did some. some, ta- some yeah. They did some tax reform, but, but spending. I mean, you can't spending, spending went up. Yeah, yeah. So here's another thing people need to consider when when they when it comes to the war argument. So even so people talk about what's one of the biggest gripes that conservatives have republicans have about biden is the afghanistan withdrawal right oh god that's so an interesting let's one take what so most people would agree they hate biden for the way he left afghanistan well who was in office before biden trump mm-hmm. who talked about leaving afghanistan trump who could have left afghanistan trump Maybe. so why does anybody hold him accountable for that because they're already Team MAGA. That's why. I'm just saying, you got to have... Already, they've already got their boots look, dug in. They're, so this is, kind of where, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road with where I used to be and with maybe with a little bit of where you're at, Yanni, is in 2005 to 2008, I confronted the reality that a lot of what I wanted from the Republican Party and conservative principles wasn't lining up with the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I realized what I wanted just wasn't there. It's like, I genuinely wanted limited government. I genuinely wanted principles, but I wasn't getting that. So something was wrong. 
that's where I had to consider the libertarian approach because the idea of less spending, more more accountability, less war, more freedom wasn't lining up with what we were getting within the government. Yeah. How do you, and you have to be honest about that. So it's like you can't claim. I mean, I'm not going to say all Republicans are bad. There's several of them with that do very well, and there's maybe a handful of them that actually live up to it. But honestly, the handful that live up to it, what are they actually? Libertarian Republicans. Yeah. If there was a more viable Libertarian Party, they'd probably be. There. What about what about if like a lot of. If we convert Republicans to libertarians. That's what my friend Timothy Cordova um, always says. And one day I would like to do an because episode with Tim and Brian. Because his whole stance, and many's, is we need more Thomas Masseys in Congress. So, we need more Rand Pauls in the Senate. So here, we need even more Mike Lees. Mike Lee doesn't call himself so a libertarian. Here's the pr- so, here's the, so here's the problem. Too many people in elected office want elected office to benefit themselves. Yeah. Thomas Massey didn't need to be in elected office. He did it for the right reasons. Same thing with Rand Paul. The problem is everybody else who does it, they do it as a stepping stone for a career path into elected office. Mm -hmm. So how do you convince someone whose main incentive for being elected is to enrich themselves to stop enriching themselves? How do you do that? (laughs) Good job. I don't know. Maybe maybe you or more people run for something. Yanni's trying to tell me I should run for office. Yeah, so here's the problem with run running for, for office. One, I you can't. have to have I'm an immigrant. You have to have a desire. You can run for office. No, I can't. You could be a congressman. There's two things that make Ted a Cruz good. was born in Canada. There's yeah, a couple but I'm good, a woman. But here's a couple good things to consider. But you'd be so enclosed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You have to be willing to play the game. I don't play the game. I briefly briefly got involved in local politics within the libertarian party i quickly learned that's not something i'm good at so i won't do it yeah could i be a candidate potentially but other than that it's like i'm just not the reason why i won't be a candidate is because number one i don't have any desire i mean i've flirted with the idea of doing what i would call a protest troll candidacy where basically i just you know, file, and then basically my only purpose is to get the word out that these other people suck. I have no intentions or expectations. Well, that's the win. entire premise of the Libertarian <laughs> Party, right? So Dave I've, Smith I've doesn't flowed, think he's going to be yeah. president in twenty. So the idea is you're not going to fix the Republicans by getting them to come around to seeing the light because they don't want to see the light. They're there for the money and the empowerment. You're not going to elect enough people to become Republicans because there's only so many slots and then you have to find the right people that both believe in it and are willing to do it. Not many people are willing to do it. They're like, I've got my life, I've got my family, why would I want to give that up to go do this? And then where are they going to get the backing from? So it's very complicated matter. It's not to say that there aren't good people, it's just that they don't want to get involved. And we've seen what happens time and time again. Big money comes in and runs against these people and, and pushes them out of it. So it's not as simple as saying we will just need good people to run. It's not that simple at all. No, it's not. But fix the horribly broken system by contributing more to the broken system and playing along, playing the game, and inevitably I, being let down. It sounds depressing. I will not say that I have any clue as to what the most viable path forward is other than what I prefer. Mm. Beyond that, What's going to happen, how it's going to happen, how it should happen, I have no idea. That's not my expert. 
My expertise is on understanding the principles and the ideas that people should support. Beyond that, the politics of it, that's for other people. To so there is a place Dave for Banner and, you know, um, Dave Banner in and, Tennessee and, and um, a libertarian. He runs and, the libertarian uh, Bill Twitter Sh- account. Bill Schultz. They, those are both very good people that you've had on that have a really good keen insight. You could even get Ken Mullman on sometime. Okay. He's also with the libertarian party of Kentucky. Um, Christian Varney is another good guy. These are people who understand politics and how things work and have good ideas of how to work the system. That's not me. I have no freaking clue. But, but there is something to be said for finding a voice, articulating your stance, trying to spread the good word, right? Yeah. Coming on a podcast funny. coming on a podcast and talking about it is probably the peak of where my potential will ever yeah. be. Okay. And, and, and we could... Sharing stuff on media because a lot of people don't know these things, so, so they you, haven't thought about. That's it. my point. Is is a lot of people simply aren't aware, and you you lead your your yeah. life like as a good person. You impact yeah. with people outside of politics in your life. So they see you, they hear yeah. you. There's something to be I, said for that. That's the reason why I put all those stickers in my car because they probably don't see many people having those stickers in their cars, and they have to be one person. They, they, you know, so you, the people just sharing stuff like well, this. Well, I'm asking this, important. Yanni. Um, would, would you say any progress has been made in terms of have you changed your views on libertarians and the Republican Party in general after our conversation so far? Yeah, a little bit. Would, okay. would you say that there's anything that you're still hung up on? I can say unsure about, but is there something that you would still say you vehemently disagree on? Mm. Other than the embargo. So the embargo. I don't no, know. I don't. I really yeah, don't. In terms of libertarian pr- principles, in terms of ending the drug war, ending foreign aid. Well, and the wars. drugs part, I don't know about. So some let's explore. Drugs. Let's explore about that. What would your be issue with with legalizing all drugs? Not all drugs. I am. I'm okay with like cocaine. Um, Woo. What, what, so why marijuana. would you? Marijuana. <laughs> on what basis would you want? Heroin. To, I don't know. It's very what, crazy. On Ecstasy what? On what, ba- on what basis would you want to continue? Uh, keeping certain drugs illegal. Well, the, the, I watched a documentary on Nazis. Nazis were a lot of under the influence of amphetamines because it was legal in Germany. Okay. So well, they were giving their so military this. This it was normal. Well, just so you know, amphetamines are legal in the United States too. Tons of people take Adderall every single day. Yeah, but about very by prescription, which actually makes it even worse because so, these I doctors mean, are making money. But I mean, from is that it. your real core reason for? I mean, would you be okay with legalizing all drugs? Yeah, it doesn't concern me. And that would actually help with what's happening at the border as well. As if you eliminated that chaos of the black yeah, market, that would help. That would alleviate a lot of that. Now, yeah. some people will argue. If you end the drug war, if you legalize all drugs, you're going to have a lot more people who are sick and die from drugs. But there's a price that you have to pay for it. That, and plus I would say the opposite. Once you open the market on drugs, you can have safer drugs. When people know that, oh, hey, people want to get high, I will provide a way for them to get high that's safer than what they're going to get from you know, a street yeah, dealer. Like this fentanyl thing. So, so I love bourbon. Last I checked, I go to a store to buy bourbon. I don't go to a street dealer to buy something in a bottle that may or may <laughs> not be sense. bourbon. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. So when you legalize a market, you allow for better products to be bought and sold. Yeah. When you create a black market, you create all kinds of crime and ambiguity 
within that market, and so therefore it becomes a lot more chaotic. All right, you convinced me. No, that's a great point. Imagine someone goes to the liquor store down the street, buys a bottle of Maker's Mark, takes a few drinks, and drops dead. Maker's Mark is in trouble. There's going to be a lawsuit. Something happened. There's going to be transparency to a degree. We're going to figure out what happened. Now, if someone goes and buys some cocaine from the guy down the street, drops dead... Who's accountable? Not, yeah, There's no, fentanyl in that. They get take, tested. It was fun. fentanyl. Let's take this a step farther just to have a little bit of fun. Let's talk regulation. I want to end all regulatory oversight. That's going to be a scary one Over for you. what? I want to end all regulatory oversight, meaning no government inspecting mm. goods and services, meaning every mar- aspect of the market is free to do what it wants to do. Like food, for example. No one's going to inspect He's it. suggesting the government is not no. going to. You're not so, saying no oh, one's going to inspect oh, sh- it. Don't give it away. <laughs> okay. Don't give it away. I don't want the government. The government. Yeah. Just so for the people listening Sorry. at home, I'm we're sitting next to Yanni and we're having a conversation. I'm looking at her and I'm emphasizing no government involvement in the marketplace. Well, people are going to check it. Because they're going to take that product, and if it doesn't work, they're not going to buy from it. So I've been shopping around for TVs lately. You know who I go to to find out about TVs, who's got the best TV? Third parties who regularly do reviews and ratings on on TVs and TV technology, not the government. Yeah. If I want to go to a restaurant, I look for reviews, and I talk to people. Where did you go eat? Did you like this restaurant? What was the service like? What was the food like? Yeah. I don't just usually randomly show up by myself to go check it out. So there's a lot of ways to have what we call accountability or regulation without the government involved. You can have third parties who that's what they do. And you can either subscribe to their services or donate to them so that they can continue to provide those services. So that that way, say, if some guy runs a burger shop and let's just say that he has a habit of not having the most sanitary business you know, business operation. People are going to find out. People are going to say, hey, this guy, he's not very sanitary. He's not cleaning his restaurant. He's not cleaning his equipment. He doesn't operate in a very safe environment. Word is going to get out, and his business is going to go down. Just like we talked about before when he mentioned he's got the racist coffee shop. If people find out that you don't do things in a proper way, people aren't going to give you their business. Or some of them may, and maybe you could survive with it if you want to support a racist coffee shop, stuff like that. That gets into some difficult, yeah. touchy but situations. But the point is, is the government does not guarantee you a safe product. And I'll just say right now, we have more government regulation and oversight than we've ever had before, and people still get sick. Mm. The, the mm. FDA, people want to talk about the safeness of the vaccines. Guess what? The FDA, every single vaccine, I talk about every single medicine that has ever been approved has also been, all these that have been, I forget what the ratio yeah. is, but there's been hundreds of recalls on supposedly safe medications. Yeah. So let's not assume that because the government gives you the approval that it's actually okay. Yeah, I mean, they made America obese. Mm. I Look wonder at the where food that pyramid. Ooh, we the food that. pyramid. Man. Wow, I wonder where that came from. Right. Wow, it was almost as if, say, somebody in it's the like sh- in a conspiracy. Is, is only as, <laughs> it was as if if somebody in the sugar industry decided it was in their best interest to pay off the people yeah. to manipulate. And that wasn't that long ago. It it, it works as long as it makes them money. Oh, Wait a minute. So are you telling me? So are you telling me that people in government aren't doing things on the up and up, and they're not doing things in the most noble and honest manner yeah. that they could be corrupted and bribed? Right. You look at no sen- senators' net worth when they get into the Senate 
versus after they've been in for 20, the 30 I, years. So it's for insane. The, so for the folks listening at home, I'm par- I'm quoting, putting up air, air quotes, quotes, government working for you is like the biggest oxymoron ever. It's just, it doesn't happen. It doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't do anything for yeah. you. It benefits itself. It, it, it exists to serve itself. And the further you get down the rabbit hole of exploring and having these types of conversations, the more almost laughable and then the it next, becomes. And then the next question is, well, we just need better people in government. Mm. Oh, yeah, we just need to vote harder. I mean, everybody has sold out. That's almost everybody. So let's look at Elizabeth Warren and Alexander. Uh, Pocahontas. She's been the biggest champion of holding the corporations accountable. What has she actually done? She has sold out every step of the way. Yeah. She's enabled it all. Why? Because she's in it for herself. Bernie Sanders, very anti-war. Except oh. for when it benefits him and his money. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Except, Except for, for when, when, he, when he gets something he wants in exchange for his vote. Now, let's just be honest. We cannot say we won't be different. What do you mean? Because human nature, it's usually very prompt to corrupt itself. Great, great point. And to which I would say this. There's no such thing as a utopia, but I will take the troubles of a free market and a free society any day of the week over the troubles of a tyrannical society, which is what we have now. There's no happy middle. That's what I think where a lot of people would get misplaced. People think that they want to have a viable, limited government. We haven't had that probably since shortly after our inception, maybe for about 10, 20 years. But even then, we were so early along, we weren't having the the sort of progress that we used to have. So make a long story short, the idea of a normal, limited government never really existed. Right. And now I, I got to say something because I come from a communist country. The, one of the things that have corrupted this country and the constitution and everything is socialism and the government. In the forms of unions, in the forms of all that stuff that you guys know. But Republicans support socialism. Too. Welfare, <laughs> they do. all this stuff. Brad Barron regularly says, which which type of socialism do you want? Democrat, yeah. Democrat socialism or Republican, Republican socialism? socialism? Which one do you which one are you going to go vote yeah. for? Schools, roads, police, firefighters, all that is socialism. Yeah. It's all paid Public for school, through taxes. And it's a monopoly on dollars that yeah. you are contributing in one way or the other and if you question it you're a piece of shit but that money's going to be spent in your best interest and i'm using air quotes there so i think we uh did a lot of good here i mean uh for the most part i mean i can't imagine that there's a huge separation i think it i think we've planted a lot of seeds in terms of what the possibilities could be for a more free society we don't have to have anarchy i think that we all agree that we would like a more free people we'd like a more limited government but how do we get there and i would just like to plant the seed for the next conversation to be is what is the path forward and how do we do that Mm. um i think that we have to look at nullification at the federal level and then rolling back regulation at the at the you know the state and county level as well i think part of that's going to come to the legislatures and the governors and letting people you know, getting people more involved. I will say on my end, the biggest lesson I learned from COVID is understanding that while war and debt at the national level are my biggest issues for the federal concern, local levels impact your life so much more. School boards, city councils, governors, state legislatures, that's where you're really most affected and you should be really paying attention to who's getting in there because that's what affects you the most. And I would say that that's also the path to where if we can get more people at that level 
to do things a better way, you're going to see more impact. I agree. Uh, I would say the spending and the devaluation of our dollar does impact us substantially on a personal level. And the war. The war impacts you. They go hand in hand. Yep. Right? Yeah. But we're not going to abolish the Federal Reserve anytime soon, much less audit it. And um, I would say that... I've lost all faith and we're going to keep supporting Ukraine at all costs. Ukraine supporting Ukraine according to Mitch McConnell is the top priority well, we for Americans right Just now. keep we in mind we give up. We have to give No, that's true. No. How how many people have really bought into this idea that this is like some noble war between the good guys and the bad guys? And the Ukrainians yeah. have banned all political par- opposing political parties recently. Yeah. That that's true. I don't. And I, mean, I, blame- I can't even talk about it because it's just like, if you don't understand, you either understand this and see it for what it is, or you're still brainwashed into believing it's the good guys versus yeah. the bad guys. And I blame also that I blame social media for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, I have friends at work. I just all day long, I just were watching CNN, and on the other side, just watching Fox all day long. So you like, blame social media for that? What do you mean? Isn't that a form of social media? Sure, or media. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's or media. media. Agreed. Okay. Now, I do think it's important for us people who, who, who have strong opinions about these types of topics to, A, try to be good people and, and earn the respect of yeah. people that you see every day, it, you know, whatever you're involved in, church, any, anything. Right. And then trying to, in a rational way, promote uh, these types of conversations so that they're not... Because a lot of people don't know. They have not been exposed to this type of content. They Mm -hmm. have not. They honestly think Ukraine, giving money, a bunch of money to Ukraine is just what we need to do or Vladimir Putin's going to take over the whole world. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's let's follow that through the logical extent. So first of all, I believe that in essence... Other than maybe Xi Jinping and a couple other people, namely the U.S. president, Putin is probably one of the worst overall authoritarians in the world. Okay. But I don't believe he has any any desire for world conquest. I think he's just looking out for Russia. Yeah. And I think if that uh, – and what I mean by that is it's pretty terrible what he's done and there's no excuse for what he's done. But it's not like he's going to be the next Hitler trying to conquer the rest of the world. There are people who have literally – literally said he wants to conquer the rest of the world yeah to different degrees like he may just keep going a little bit farther a little bit farther until somebody actually stops him i don't think that's going to happen i doubt that will ever happen what i've gotten to read from rush from uh, putin is that for the most part he's an authoritarian over his own kingdom but he only cares about his own kingdom he's not looking to expand his influence over the rest of the world that would be china that would be america actually more america than china even And uh, people just are not fond of critical thinking. People are not fond of being objective and honest about what they see and about what's going on. And that's what prevents people from being open to having more dialogue because they already have a very particular mindset and worldview and they're not open to changing that. You came in here to have a conversation with me and we talked about a few things. I was actually a communist when I got here and I was for a long time until not very long ago. Did you know that, Brian? I had no idea. Yeah, very socialist. I I was still reading, I was still thinking that Che Guevara was the greatest person, the new man. Very interesting what I've experienced with this, this lady over here. 
So, so, she, so you've had a transformation since you've been here. Yeah. But not only And it was only because I questioned myself. And this is the thing that people don't do today. They don't question themselves. This is what I know. And what I know is the truth. And I don't care about what everybody else So said. one thing that, I, that drew me towards libertarianism was realizing that the people that I was talking to, they'd already thought this stuff through. And there was no question it was off limits. You know, usually when you talk to certain Republicans or certain Democrats or certain things that they just... They get upset over. Mm, they, they, they they get real quiet about. They don't want to talk about certain things. They don't want to question the police. In the conversation, they don't want to question the military. They don't want to question the church. They don't want to possibly sound like a Putin apologist. Yeah. So they even want, if you're not you're not sounding like that. They're paranoid. They're when you talk off, to, off when limits. You, when you talk to most libertarians, there's pretty much nothing that is off the table. Almost nothing. I would say actually to a certain degree. They fight each other over each other, over oh, certain issues. Crazy, yeah. yeah, we fight each other more than we fight everybody else. So that to me is the mark of a vision that has been tested more so than everything else. And really, I would even say there's a lot of people that are liberty-leaning within the Republican Party that are very conservative. The problem is they're still under the impression that the Republican Party is the best way forward, despite all the evidence to the contrary. I shared that thing on my Facebook page the other day. It was a tweet from the official Republican Party, the National Republican Party. You know, the party of limited government. You knew knew what I was going for. You literally created the Department of Homeland Security and passed the Patriot Act. (laughs) You literally spent trillions and trillions. And you continue to. What? What makes you limited government? Oh, we believe in spending a little bit less than Democrats. Actually, you know you spent more. Yeah. You've started all the wars. One million less, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, they spent more. I think on record, they. Sp- I think Biden oh, is actually more. breaking the record now. But Every president shatters the previous regime's record. So the point yeah. is, people who... So it's th- just back and... I, th- I guess at some point it's going to collapse, and then people are going to learn in the hard way, maybe. Why more republic? Yeah. When I was talking about other possibilities, that was one of them is collapse. Yeah. I think that's going to be... It's a good way to learn. <laughs> All I got to say is... It depends on what the collapse looks like. How financial, it personally financial, impacts financial me selfishly. Will be a financial collapse will be like and a violent... Will be a violent revolt. We don't really know what's going to happen. Yeah. Be scary. prepared, but be prepared. Well, I am ready because I already left the country. I can leave another one. You don't want to have to leave. We're not, we're not going anywhere. We're fighting for this turf. So okay. it's just that, a matter of how we do it. Well, that, it depends. Well, I'll say this. There's so Yanni's saying it depends in the certain instances. You yeah. got to be ready to leave, you she says. Leave. I will say this. There's no problem in moving from one area to another, but I'm not leaving this country. There's literally millions of other people who agree with me in some way. That's true. That we're not going to just bend the knee. United States is unique, I think, in the way in that this. Ian Lawler, I interviewed a pro MMA fighter recently. He said that type of thing. He's democracy was great. I said, okay, well, what happens if everybody elects AOC as the next president? Oh, and my God. That's the direction, okay? You like democracy. Oh, what if the majority – and he said, I'm not going anywhere. And he's not fucking around. He's a pro fighter with a bunch of guns. Yeah. I mean – and so there are a lot of people who echo that. In the same way, the left didn't back down and they slowly took over. There's millions of people who believe in something that resembles personal liberty that will not back down and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. We have way more. Have you seen the numbers of how many guns exist in the United States? You raise a good point. That's one thing I like yeah, to say. Yeah, that's I the like first thing they do. But here's the problem. Take your guns Here, from you. Actually, they don't need to take the guns away from you. They just need to prevent you from using them. 
Yeah. So what's worse, not having a gun or not having a will to use the gun? And I'll leave you at that on that subject. I don't know. There's a lot of people that have access to the means of self-defense, but they don't want to do that. Now, I will say this. There's no reason to pick up a gun and go fight right now. That would be stupid. Yeah. But don't kid yourself that you don't need to have the means of it either. But if you're constantly oppressed, if you're constantly bending the knee, meaning you're passively doing what you're told, they don't need to take away your guns because you're just not willing to resist anyway. If conservatives who own guns behave in any way, shape, or form as resolute as the Marxist BLM protesters, wow, would things change. Yeah. But we go to work and we have families. That's the difference. We well, have if responsibilities. It counts, if it You're calling the, the Marxist BLM people bums? Yes. I'm getting a gun this year. Yeah. Yanni's going to get a gun soon. Yeah. You own a gun? What, what, I don't, what I don't know is why don't you already have at least two or three? Yeah. Well, because it's you gotta a process. Bump, you got to bump those numbers up. When you've up. been brainwashed for so long, it's a process. Yanni <laughs> was brainwashed. Very intelligent. When we, we met, she would say, well, it's in a book. And I was like, at some point, I was like, you know, yeah. let's look at those books. And they were all left-leaning books. So it, it's, a, it's an issue. This has been a great uh, uh, exercise, yeah. in my opinion. Good discussion, yeah. Um, I think it's important to promote. So we made progress, I think. Yeah. To at least be aware of the different sides, I think, is, is very valuable. I think there's a lot of good intentions and a lot of good ideas that we share. I think the difference is in understanding where things are within the realm of the politics and the parties and just coming to an understanding that you and I want a lot of the same things. I think the difference is I've more or less arrived at the conclusion and I've accepted that the Republican Party is not going to be the path for freedom. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people within the Republican Party that are very good, but they're not the majority, they're not the leadership, so therefore there's not going to be a whole lot of change from that. Um, it's just not going to happen. Um, I would love for it to happen. I would love for nothing more than to be wrong, but I don't think I will ever be wrong. Okay. I think going forward, as long as the, the establishment runs the party, not much is going to change. Before we wrap things up, of course, um, I appreciate everyone tuning in to the Kelly Patrick Show. Send some referrals the way of my sponsors. Brian, if someone's interested in hearing more about um, the liberty messaging that you are articulating, maybe from you or elsewhere, how, how could you suggest they go about finding that? Join the uh, Libertarian Party Mises Caucus, the LPMC. Um, follow them on Twitter. F find them on Facebook. The Libertarian Party in general is now um, is also uh, we run the Libertarian Party. So less woke. Yes. No, we're not woke at all. Not less. Not at all. What does so, really woke means? Woke is just Marxism. Okay. Got it all idea. stems. From, it all stems from Marxism. Okay. You buying that, Yanni? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just. That's all from a Marxism. Because Fidel Castro was always social justice type yeah. guy. Okay. All right. And oddly enough, usually the people at the top, they don't even give shit about the ideology. They just get the power. Yeah. They couldn't care less who's banging who or who's doing what. Or anything no, other than their power. They don't care about who's even free. They care about how does this benefit me. So It's a very convenient tool. If I only cared about advancing in politics, I'd be very Marxist. Absolutely. Social demo Democrat would be my label. Yeah, it sells. Guys, I, I want to thank once again Brian for coming in. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yanni. Thank you very much. 
Also want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, we will have another episode of The Kelly Patrick Show out soon.